Welcome to Grassroots Health. My name is Tim Jordan, and I'm the host of this podcast. I welcome you. Thanks for listening. If you care about health, yours or other people's, then this podcast is for you. It's distributed monthly on the first Monday of each month. Best of all, it's free. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. Grassroots Health is sponsored by the 1795 Group. Check us out at 1795group.com. Thanks again for joining us today. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to episode number 16 of Grassroots Health. My name is Tim Jordan, and I'm your host. Happy December 2023. You know, when we think of December, our first thoughts always goes towards the holidays. Mine do. School's closed for the winter break, and it's just a great time to go on a family vacation. December is also a great time to relax, catch up on sleep, be with family and friends, and and either head to the beach or build a snowman, depending on where you live. You know, I was thinking about Christmas the other day, and I even know someone who was born on Christmas Day. Guess what her first name is? Her first name? M-E-E. Yes, M-E-R-R-Y, like Merry Christmas. Happy birthday, a bit early, Mary. Speaking of family, my mom and sister have always loved December. Not, why not? Well, it's because of where their birthdays fall. My mom's birthday is the day after Christmas, and my sister's birthday is on December 31st, New Year's Eve. You see, here's how it works. People with birthdays near Christmas always get cheated. People will only purchase one gift, and they'll say, Merry Christmas and Happy Birthday. That's just not fair, those cheapskates. Or people will buy only one gift and say, You choose. You decide whether this gift is your Christmas present or your birthday present. That's what my grandma, my mom's mom, used to say to her all the time. You decide. I'm glad my birthday's in mid-January and I don't have to face that problem. Let me tell you a few things that are happening with the 1795 group right now. First of all, the 1795 group is sponsoring another virtual workshop. I think this one's our fifth. And it will occur, write, write, write this down. Write it down in your date book on Sunday night, Sunday night, February 18th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Sunday night, February 18th, at 6 p.m., probably go to around 7.30 Eastern Time. This workshop will focus on the topic of program evaluation, something that the 1795 group is very good at, and quite frankly, we've done a lot of it. Let me say this. If you desire success for your programs, you'll want to participate in this workshop. You just will. You won't find anything less expensive. I made it as cheap as I can. Registration is only 10 bucks. And half of that, $5 of that, will be donated to a food bank in Greater Cleveland, Ohio. You will not find a less expensive, first-class, top-quality workshop anywhere. Trust me. Learn from the comfort and convenience of your home. But you have to register. So register today on our website. You can find this event at 1795group.com forward slash events forward slash. Second, if you signed up on our website, 
you've attended any of our events or applied to work with us as a student intern, then you will receive our upcoming 2024 newsletter. Shelby Harrison and Zoe Atkinson do such a great job with this. Our email newsletter is scheduled to come out in early February. Be on the lookout for it. Watch for it. If you are not signed up and you'd like to get it, it is unique, I will say. Please go to our website and sign up today. That's www.1795group.com. All right, let's talk about our special guest today because she is very special. She's been waiting patiently inside the soundproof studio and listening to me jabber. I've been waving to her through the little window in my audio booth. I'm going to wave again. Hey, Nicole, how are you? She's waving back and smiling. Nicole is always so positive. So who is Nicole Angelique Kerr? Who is she? First of all, she's a veteran of the U.S. Air Force. In fact, she was one of the first females to make it in the U.S. Air Force Academy. She's now a disabled vet. How'd she become disabled? Well, was she injured in combat or flying a jet? No. She was injured while in the Air Force Academy in a terrible car accident. She was 19 years old, and she had a terrifying and transformative near-death experience, an NDE, near-death experience. As I said, she was in a terrible car accident. She was thrown from the vehicle, and bystanders who came to help her, they just said she was dead. Even the EMT came, and they said, no, don't bother with her. She's dead. So the interview is about her death and what she saw and what she heard on the other side, her near-death experience. Like others who've had near-death experiences, it's, it's changed them. It changed her. It changed her beliefs on life and death. It, it changed her beliefs on religion. She came back a, a changed person. And she says this on her website. She says that death itself is cloaked in a veil of gloom and doom. Death has a cloud of depression and negativity around it through our culture. I would agree with that. And as she would tell you her, by her own experience and along with hundreds and hundreds of others who have had these NDEs, death is not like that. Death is 100% different than that. It's different from what our culture portrays. Death is beauty. It is light. It is loving kindness. People that have these say, I was enveloped in love, just pure love. She writes a lot about death in her book. The book is called You Are Deathless. You Are Deathless, and it's available at most book retailers. I got mine on Amazon. I'm still reading it. In fact, I reread it. I encourage you to read her book as I have, and I hope you learn from this podcast. I'm Tim Jordan, and I'm your host. Uh, my special guest today is Nicole Kerr. She's a national health expert, and she has survived a near-death experience. And our topic today is really, really fascinating. You're going to love it. It's why we should not fear death. Why we should not fear death. How are you, Nicole? I'm doing well, Dr. Tim. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really appreciative. And looking forward yeah, to our welcome. discussion today, yeah. So since many of our listeners don't know you, 
tell them about your nuclear family, your mom and dad, brothers, sisters, your high school years, Air Force. I think you went into the Air Force Academy, according to your book. Yeah, I was one of the first females admitted into the academy. And uh, oh, boy. Yeah, I'll tell you about that. Um, <laughs> so my nuclear family, I'm two uh, I'm the second of four siblings, uh, two boys, two girls, two that look like mom, two that look like dad. Uh, my mother actually is an immigrant from Kiev. She was born in the Ukraine, and she came to America wow. during World War II. Um, their family actually were sponsored by a church in Hollis Springs, Mississippi, and they were indentured servants. They lived in a shack and picked cotton for a whole year to pay oh, back goodness. that church. Okay, so, so let me ask you, Lincoln, what what was your mom's maiden name? Schneider. Schneider, that's Ukrainian, huh? Well, uh, yes. All right. So she comes from Ukraine. They were indentured servants, your mom and her family. And yeah. how did your mom and dad meet? Uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, three friends. And my dad, uh, is his family is from North Carolina and Mount Aries, where the Andy Griffiths show uh, was, quote, filmed. But uh, they were in the logging business, and then they all uh, moved down here to uh, or moved to Jackson, Mississippi, and started their own various companies. And my dad had, and his grandfather had Yazoo lawnmowers. So it was a family business that we grew up in and worked in our whole life. So all of our summers and vacations as kids were spent uh, packing parts, putting together literature for dealers, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was that was a lot of my growing up years was Yazoo Manufacturing uh, Company, and those were the machines with the bicycle wheels behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so cut a lot of grass. Um, I so, bet. so I grew up in Jackson and um, went to high school actually for my mother grew up in started in parochial schools and then my mother decided to put all four of us in public schools and so I was actually bused across town to a school that was 95 percent african-american so that was a shock coming from a, a parochial school system and was in the public schools um, three and a half years so midway through high school during halfway through my junior year I transferred to a private private um, school and finished out my year and a half at um, at the private school. So, uh, which that was... That had to be pretty hard, didn't it? I mean, you left all your friends as a junior, right? Yeah. Well, there weren't... It was interesting. It was really segregated. Uh, the white kids stayed with the white kids, and it was very hard to break into um, having a, a African-American friend. And anytime there was a popularity contest for cheerleader or anything, I mean, unless they mandated so many white kids be uh, allowed, it would all go to whatever the majority is. So you really, I saw the, the discrimination and the, and, um, the racism and all that that was going on uh, very vividly when we transferred. You experienced it on the reverse, like you were not part of the, the yes. main crowd. Yes, and so um, I went back to the private school, and a lot of the parochial kids from when I grew up had been at that school their whole life, um, and so I rejoined a lot of them at that point, but I was definitely a different person by then. And um, then I had nothing like ROTC training that would incline me to go into the military. Um, I went solely because I wanted to please my father. My father was a graduate of the Air Force Academy, cross-commissioned into the Marine Corps, flew helicopters during the Bay of Pigs. So he wanted one of 
us kids to follow in his footsteps. So when the academies, Congress allowed the academies to admit women, um, the first class graduated in 80 and my class was 86. So I went through the steps to get accepted, which is quite a lot of hoops to jump through. If anybody knows about getting into the service yeah. academies, you have to get At a congressional. First you have to be a you have to be a really good student, right? <laughs> yeah, and then you have to be pretty much an athlete, which I was not. I mean, I was on the <laughs> drill team like the Rockettes, but, you know, I did ballet growing up, but not varsity sports, which uh, once I got up there was really uh, noticed. And then, you know, I didn't really have an interest in the military. It was solely because um, I wanted to be the apple of my dad's eye. I wanted him to really, um, sh- you know, love and appreciate me. And and I thought going to the academy would just be the crowning achievement in what I could do to earn his approval. And I did get accepted. And when I got that call in high school and the principal called me in his office and the representative got on the phone, I was like, excuse my language. Oh, shit. Now I got to go. You know, <laughs> now because, I have to. Yeah. yeah, there's no getting out of this. And I knew when I was in boot camp, um, it was six weeks out there in Colorado Springs. I knew immediately that this was not for me or my soul. Um on the first phone call that we got home, three weeks into it, we got three minutes on the phone with our family. My mother answered the phone and I cried. I cried for three minutes and then I started hyperventilating and the commander just took the phone from me after three minutes and told me to sit over there and get myself together. And I realized years later that was my first panic attack because what I needed from my mother at that point was permission to come home, was permission to quit. And in our family, you don't quit anything. Once you sign up for it, you follow it through no matter how bad it gets. Failure is not an option. And so um, I honestly could not face the shame, the disapproval, the the judgment um, of my father if I quit. So I kept going. And by the grace of God, I made it through the first year. And then starting into the second year, I still knew I didn't want to be there, but still couldn't get up the courage to just say, this is not for me. This is not my path or my soul's path. Uh, In fact, I didn't even really know what my soul was back when I was 19 years old. You know, all I knew growing up. Most of us don't. (laughs) Many 19-year-olds, 18, 19, 20-year-olds don't. No, all I knew was soul food and uh, soul music and, and, <laughs> and the Baptist church and the Lutheran church. Well, the Baptists, your soul would go to hell if you were, you know, were bad. Uh-huh. So that's all I knew of, of my soul. But I just knew that this wasn't where I wanted to be. I lived in fear every single day as a as a freshman at any of these colleges or, you know, you know military academies, you're, you're totally abused. It's mental abuse, it's physical abuse. And for women, it, a lot of us were sexually abused. And so unfortunately, that is still going on today in these, these institutions and in our military, which is just absolutely terrible. Um, in our family, we have a young lady who's my niece by marriage, and she was one of the first females to go to West Point and graduate successfully. And, uh, you know, I, I know about the struggle that she faced and how many times that she's been through those kind of things, and I'm sure it was tough on her, like it was tough on you. So let's talk about your near-death experience. I think it happened when you were in the military academy, the Air Force Academy, 
I think maybe around 1983, according to your book. Yes, it was on. So what what happened on that fateful day when you were in that car accident? We were at a squadron mandatory event, and I was getting a ride when it ended. Liquor was provided to underage cadets, so note the Air Force was um, breaking their own rules by doing that. But... I was getting a ride back with a senior and we were the last to leave and he was he was in a Corvette convertible and growing up I was not allowed to date okay so now I'm in a school with 4,000 guys and my dad's rules were no smoking no drinking and no dating upperclassmen (laughs) so here is this guy saying hey you want to ride back in my Corvette you know and I'm like Okay, yes. So Wasn't a convertible, 1965 convertible, it too, was. I think, from the book? Yeah. yeah, and it didn't have seatbelts. So I didn't realize this guy had a whole other agenda. He wanted to go to a bar before we went back to the academy and have a couple more beers. And I was like, okay. So for Brian... First time, I had two beers, and then he wanted to smoke a couple of cigarettes, and I'm like, I'll try one of those. So for the first time at 19, (laughs) here I am having fun. I'm breaking out. I'm rebelling. I'm doing these things I'm not supposed to do. And uh, then he wanted to go and park and watch the sunset at the Rocky Mountains. Uh, He wanted to park. Yeah, and that's when I realized, uh uh-oh, he's got a whole different agenda here. And I was like, no, we got to get back. And... Um, he started back on the road again, and that was the last thing I remember. And I woke up in the hospital, uh, a community hospital, uh, in the ICU the next day. And uh, to fill in the story, uh, my par- the paramedic that came, uh, it was a volunteer fire department that got there first, and then the other county departments got there a little bit later. But it took him between... Uh, some passerbys saw the accident, called 911, came over to check us, couldn't get any vitals on me, went inside their house, Mm. got a blanket, covered me up. So when the paramedic got there, he uncovered me. And what he later told me when he came to my hospital room about 10 weeks later was that he couldn't get any vitals on me. So he did something called a sternal knuckle press, which mm-hmm. is designed to elicit pain in the body. And when He's he- Using knuckles like this and yes, you rub across the sternum, the yeah, breastbone, it hurts. It does. And so if there's any part of you still alive, uh, something in your body will flinch, move. And it just so happened that my right eye did. And at that moment, what I later realized was my soul, which had exited my body when I flew through the windshield and gone to the other side, it now came back in through my eye. Oh, my goodness. So we hear that phrase, our eyes are the window to the soul. And that's exactly what that meant in my case. So at that point... Let me ask you a couple questions about the car crash. Did he hit another car? Or was it on like just solo accident? It was a solo accident, and it he lost was, control. Yes, and it was later determined that he was drunk. He was double over the limit uh, for Uh-oh. Colorado, so um, he hit a boulder. My side of the car Uh-oh. hit the boulder, and what happened was later, nineteen years later, when my memory came back, I remembered he made a sexual. Uh, advanced toward me while he was driving um, and tried to grab at me. And I said no. And he got really mad at me and he jerked the steering wheel and, oh, the, no. and the Corvette fishtailed. And when it swung around, my side of the car hit the boulder and then it flipped over. 
And the and picture, you rejected you rejected from the car, as I recall from the book. That's right. We both were, and unfortunately, um, I was um, declared dead at the scene. And he was conscious and had some injuries on his back. And later, you know, um, I found out that he was an alcoholic and that his dad was a three-star general in Washington. And even though the state of Colorado charged him with vehicular assault and driving under the influence, et cetera, and he pleaded guilty, he was still allowed to graduate from the academy. And that's, that's where rank has its privilege. And yeah. in the military, you see things that are not fair, and um, clearly that was not fair, in my opinion. Um, so he is he's alive today. I do have no communication with him. He never apologized to me for it. He apologized to my mother, but um, even though I wrote him and asked for that, I never got that. So I had to really work mm-hmm. through through that. Um, and let's let's focus on the near death experience. Okay? Yeah, absolutely. So about eight years ago, maybe nine, I started teaching near death experiences in my death and dying class at the University of Toledo. I have taught maybe five or six thousand students. And one thing I learned from my research, of course, you mentioned Dr. Moody uh, numerous times being the predecessor of the person that coined the NDE term. But one thing we learn from all these near-death experiences is people don't want to come back. That's right. They just don't want to come back to this earthly life. Was that your experience? Absolutely. I did not want to come back. And I'll tell you why. The only consistent thing I remember during the 19 years was bright white lights. That was the only memory I had. And I asked my... bright lights. Bright white lights. And I asked the surgeon, could that have been the operating room light? She said, absolutely not. Nicole, you were not conscious. So it was something uh, more, you know, greater than, than this realm. And so when my memory came back... I remembered going over to the other side. I remembered the exact details of the crash, of how I was sitting in the car, how I went butt up through the windshield. And when I got to, when I went up, um, I actually froze there. And at that point, I call him Casper the Friendly Ghost in the book. That is when an angel came down, and we all have an energy body. Whether you realize it or not, we're all energy, and we have an energy body. And upon death, it cracks from the top all the way down, and your spirit, your soul, goes straight out of you up to what you may call heaven or whatever that space is. So um, that is what happened. My energy body Cracked. I flew out, and I did not actually feel myself, my body, my physical body hit the ground. But I knew when I was up in the air that when I hit the ground, I was going to die. And I cried out, oh, my God, help me. So at that point, Casper came down, lifted me up. And what I knew was that he was male. He was uh, young in his early 30s. And, um, and I had these characteristics of him, and I just couldn't ever, you know, put him as, you know, a lot of people say they see deceased loved ones when they go to the other side. And yeah. I just could never uh, say that I, I saw that. Well, I will tell you, this past August, uh, I started smelling cigar smoke around, and I, I was like, where is that coming from? My grandfather smoked cigars, and wow. in, in August, he passed away at age 58. So 
around that same time he passed away, he came to me in a meditation and told me, I'm now 58 years old. And he said, I was the one that came down and picked you up. Now, isn't it ironic that I'm in a car with an alcoholic, and then while my grandfather was on earth, he was an alcoholic? Because when you cross over, none of that carries over with you. And so um, he's my angel now. I call him my military angel, James, and he is with me all the time and will be until I make my um, transition over to the other side. So while I was on the other side, I heard and saw now you have to remember I'm in I'm in this vapor spirit form. I'm not in my physical body. The eyes that we have in uh, human eyes are not like the eyes that you have when you're on the other side. You see things see things differently, you know um, and you hear and we don't speak people that say that they've been dead like you. We don't speak. We can read them. It's a a vibrational like telepathy kind of thing that you get. So, yeah, because I'm hearing and I don't know what form it is. And then I'm able to translate it into English. This conversation that two angels are having next to me. And it's about how we, meaning the humans here on Earth, that we need to ask them for help. They are always there to help us, and every single one of us has at least one guardian angel, but we have to ask them for help, and not just in a crisis situation. They will intervene if it's life or death, like they did in my situation. Uh, However, we have something called free will, and we have the choice. So what I tell people is you need to start dialoguing with the angels and asking for help and just get used to that because it's a relationship that you have with them. It's not a one-time kind of off thing of, oh, I need angelic help here. And there are thousands of them and there's spirit guides. There's so many other beings on the other side, deceased loved ones um, that are wanting to help you, but you've got to be open to it and then ask. So people think I'm crazy when I pray to the ask the angels for help, like with a parking space. But every time a parking space shows up, I just some, I just somehow have to be patient sometimes. So that's the first message: is to please start asking your angels for help. You can start asking for their name, for your guardian's name. You know, you can ask these questions; they will give you answers. And then the second message was, I was told that I was going to go back. And I was like, no. So this is to answer your question. No, I do not want to go back because I could see my body in the ditch the way I was I was a corpse. And I could see all the injuries that I had. And I thought, I don't want to get back in that physical body and get back into uh, my family. Feeling all that pain. Yeah, pain and suffering. And not only that. I was going to have to be dependent on my parents again, especially my mother. I, my injuries were such that I couldn't walk. I couldn't go to the bathroom. Uh, I, you know, I was really uh, dependent on them during this next year of healing. And they, I knew I was going to go right back to the Baptist church, the Lutheran church, be right back in that bubble that I was trying to escape from. And I didn't know what my life would look like. I didn't know if my brain would function right or what. And I just thought, why live like this when there is such... Let me ask you this. Did you have a choice? Did somebody give you a choice to go back or not go back? Or 
You just went back. I, yeah, I did. Yeah, if I'd had the choice, I would have stayed. Um, but no, they told me I uh, I had to go back, and I was just like, uh, next thing I know, I wake up in the ICU, and the first thing I say is, "Don't tell my father; he'll kill me," because oh, no. I, I knew my dad would would blame me for breaking his rules, and in my household. Dad was God. Our earthly father was actually symbolic of my heavenly father. That's how much fear that I had of my father. And so that, I tried to leave two more times, Dr. Tim. You know, I had a code blue in an operation two weeks later. It was an emergency surgery. They actually, they didn't put me all the way under because I was, um, uh, so fragile at that point, but I had three bacteria set in and they couldn't diagnose a couple of them. And I was just, I was just being so infected. I got sepsis, I got gangrene and, uh, I went into that operation and they performed a colostomy. And once again, I flew out of my body in the operating room and was on my way to the other side. And Angel James came and caught me and said, no, you got to get back in that body. You have a mission. Oh, my goodness. And I was just like, oh, you know. <laughs> Why? <laughs> and Why then, do I have to Yeah. Obey? And then later, because of... The, the, the shame I felt and the, my father blaming me for this, even though I wasn't driving, I wasn't drunk, he still said, you made a, a bad decision and you deserve the consequences. That's his mm. mindset. And um, later, in, I was in the hospital four months in ICU for seven weeks. It was like this. Uh, uh, my lungs, You're in the hospital how long? For four months? Four months. And ICU oh for seven weeks. Uh, uh, and at one point on 10 different mm. IVs. You know, from different. You're in bad shape. I was really, really in bad shape, and so um, the other third NDE was when my lungs started filling up with fluid, and they couldn't drain them. They kept filling up, and I was suffocating. And that, to me, is is probably the worst form of death: is to suffocate, you know, mm. and not get enough air. And so uh, that's the third NDE in the hospital. So, like I said, I did try to go back, and they kept bringing me back, and so. Um, it was hard for me for 19 years to understand why it took my body so long to actually remember what happened. And what I was told on the other side was, you're going to go back and your message to people is going to be, do not be afraid of death. And I was that's like, why you're here today. That's right? exactly why I'm I mean, here today. We're going to share this with thousands of people and many students of death and dying and former professors. And I mean, we're going to we're going to have a lot of uh, impact. So on your website, which is, by the way, to listeners, if you want to find her, it's Nicole Kerr, K-E-R-R dot com, Nicole Kerr dot com. You said this about death. Death is absolute beauty. Mm-hmm. It's light and loving kindness. What do you what do you mean by that? Think of the most beautiful place or picture you've ever seen. Get that in your mind. Now Take that and times it a thousand, multiply it by a thousand. That's the exponential beauty that is indescribable that so many of us that have near-death experiences can't put this into world words because it's such a brilliance, a beauty of colors, of vibrations that you can't uh, 
you just can't put it into words and the comfort that you feel and the, the, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no hooking to an identity, there's no story of your past that carried forward, you know, it's all just beauty and this light, you know, I, like I said, I remembered seeing the bright lights and Dr. Moody said that is the most common characteristic of near-death experience is this tunnel. Some people see it as a tunnel, but you're in this white light. And to me, that is the presence of God. And that loving kindness is love is the only thing that matters in the end. And it's pure unconditional love and that is what God is and who we all are at a soul level but on earth in our human form so many people put conditions on love and if you think of love not only as an emotion but as an energy that puts it in a different frame of what uh, uh, love truly is are you familiar with Dr. Robert Lanza N-L-A-N-Z-A. No, Lanza. He's written a couple books. He's uh, become kind of a physicist, and he says he believes that in the human consciousness, there's about maybe 15 or 20 watts of energy that's never destroyed, and he believes in like parallel universes that we're all connected, that we maybe move on to another universe. Do you... Think that, Nicole? Absolutely. We're all connected? Absolutely. In fact, um, in my book, I talk about um, there is a report by the International Association of Near-Death Studies, their 2020 annual report, which they interviewed thousands of people with near-death experiences. And they came up with the 10 common near-death lessons. And I put all these lessons in my book because they're all positive. And that's what I want people to understand that death is positive. It's not this, uh, a lot of writers frame it as doom and gloom and it's depressing, Um, but that's not my experience and that's not the experience of this report. And the third one is that everything and everyone is connected. The first one is we do not die. Hence the title of my book, We Are Deathless, because our soul is eternal. He he would agree, Dr. Lanza would agree. Yeah. He says that branch of physics more and more scientists are green. I know hospice nurses that I've interviewed on this podcast. I've, I've talked to the leading hospice nurse in the country, and she said she believes that death is a door, not a wall. Absolutely. Just, absolutely. And, you know, John Lennon even said, you know, he didn't believe yeah. in death. He said it's like getting out of one car and getting into another. And, and here's the deal. Our soul, this is not our first rodeo coming to Earth. We're only here for a brief amount of time in these physical vessels. And that's what you really, you know, I could see is that the vessel that I worked so hard, I was walking all the time, all this exercise. And yes, that is important to keep your body in good health. But to make that the sole focus and priority and to forget uh, or to limit your spiritual growth or your emotional growth is to your disadvantage because though your spirituality and your soul is the one that goes on and evolves and that's what you are here to do actually is to evolve as a soul 
And I also know that we incarnate in many lifetimes and also that we can come from other interplanetary. uh, We aren't the only solar system out here and we can come from other planets that have higher vibrations and that treat their people, their planet and their sentient beings with respect. And that you can come here to try to help raise the vibration of this planet because we are in a time now in our country where we are, the old ways are crumbling and we are creating a new way where there is going to be respect of all and respect of Mother Earth and and all sentient beings, meaning, you know, uh, anything that's that's breathing and living like dogs and cattle and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's interesting that you say that because on your website, you say it's your mission to change the worldview, number mm-hmm. one, change vibration and change the cultural misunderstanding that we have about death. So let's talk about that cultural misunderstanding. Do Americans have a cultural misunderstanding about death, in your opinion? Absolutely, we do. We do not want to talk about it. We'll talk about anything except death until it happens. And the thing about death, you know, it's a shared experience. It's going to happen to every single one of us. We just don't know when. And no, and I certainly didn't think I was going to die at 19. I mean, that was the furthest thing from my mind. So, yes, we we do not like to talk about it. We don't like to even draft wills or take care of a advanced um, living directive. I mean, these simple documents that determine how our care of life at the end should happen. We, we put these off and we put these off because we don't want to have to face the fact that we are going to eventually um, leave this planet and transition out of these bodies and our soul's going to go on. And I think part of that is how we have had a culture where we ship old people off to nursing homes and we want to forget about them, where other cultures allow elderly people to live in the house until they die and they actually, kids can grow up and see death. But it's almost like people are, you know, they don't want to see at a funeral the corpse laid out. You know, people get the heebie-jeebies or, you know, it's very scary. And, um, and part of that is, is the person just doesn't look like themselves. I don't care how good the mortician is. That's because their life force, their energy, that breath that animates them is gone and you really see what's left. And it's it's like that is what kept them alive and living and breathing and who they were. So we do a very poor job of educating people around death. And depending on um, your beliefs about God, that shapes your relationship with death. So if you grow up with a God who is loving and judgmental, but is also critical, judgmental, the wrath of God will come on you if you don't follow certain rules. Uh, You'll go to hell. You'll be separated from God. You'll be separated in all eternity from your family. Instilling that level of fear in children at such a young age runs their nervous system for the rest of their life unless they start dealing with that belief system. And that, in my experience, was not true at all. God was none of those negative things. Anything associated with fear is made by man, is uh, said by man in order to control people. God is, my experience, pure 
love. There's nowhere that God is not. There's no beginning. There's no end. It's an energy. And I really believe that God was a vending machine. I thought if I did the right thing, put in the right behaviors, boom, punch the Coca-Cola button, out would come Coke. But when it didn't, it was on me. I did something wrong. And that's what we are, we are taught it's it's your fault if something doesn't turn out right. And if you didn't pray, if you didn't get what you wanted in prayer, then you prayed wrong. You weren't in the prayer position or you, you know, it was, it was. Or, or you didn't have enough faith. Yes. Yeah. There's always something that makes you wrong and bad. And that is uh, just not true at all. In fact, on the other side, News alert, you're not judged at all. There's no one keeping tabs on you. Uh, There's not this great white man in the sky taking notes of every time you think a bad thought or you do an evil thing and that you're going to have to come up there and face this, you know, harsh judgment day. That did not exist at all. Um, And it's not Santa Claus, you know, it really isn't. And um, that is huge because so many people judge themselves. And if we could learn on this planet today to quit judging our own selves, maybe we could quit judging others and the love we, that that, that love would expand instead of be filled with, uh, oh, I should have done this. I do what, you know, I'm not worthy enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not all these, these, um, low vibration, uh, actually false belief systems. Yeah, I would agree with you there, and I would say a hearty amen, as we (laughs) used to say in church. Amen to that. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking with Nicole Kerr. She's a survivor of a near-death experience and also an award-winning health expert. I purchased her book, You Are Deathless, on Amazon, and I put it on my Kindle. I read a new book every summer vacation. And so I purchased this book, took it with me on summer vacation a few weeks ago. And Nicole's book happened to be the one that I chose and I read it and I was fascinated, so fascinated that I contacted her. And she said, yes, she would be willing to be on the show. So I'm so thankful. In this book, Nicole beautifully presents how her near-death experience was actually an STE, a spiritually transformative experience or transformative experience, excuse me, transformative experience. So I want to talk about spirituality since we're on the topic. Uh, In your book, you write about growing up in a very strict Baptist home. Mm -hmm. Your father was very strict and very judgmental. You were taught that there's a heaven Mm -hmm. and that the only way, like I was taught, the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. Um, you were taught you were not saved and you didn't believe or follow Jesus, you'd end up in a sinner's hell. It'd okay. be burning, it'd be anguish forever, just like me. Yep. I can remember, I, I, this is not, we didn't talk about this, but I can remember at, at age 16 watching a film at church, like left, I think it was called Left Behind. And it scared me so much, I went home. The, a couple nights later, I heard a big boom in the middle of the night. I woke up. I thought maybe Jesus had come and taken my parents and left me behind. So I went, crept into their bedroom, and I wanted to make sure my mom and dad were still there because I was so scared. Yeah. Right. So let me ask you this, Nicole. Do you believe that getting saved and, the, and Jesus is the only way to heaven? Absolutely not. 
okay? I will tell you, in my near-death experience, Jesus did not appear throughout that whole experience. Um, What I, you know, I nowadays see Jesus as an ascended master and a way shower. And if we could all live our lives like Jesus did, but so many people these days have twisted his words and only use them to support their belief systems. And there's so, in my opinion, so much hypocrisy that is going on in many of the houses of worship today that it really is shameful. Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged. And look at how much judgment is going on today with this group hating this group and judging this group. And and that's why I said, if we can learn to not judge ourselves, that would be an amazing step. But also, you know, I want to talk about that fear. That fear keeps you in that fight, flight, or freeze part of your brain, your amygdala. And that is not the best part of the brain to be making decisions the rest of your life. You should be making them from your prefrontal cortex where you have that executive reasoning. But when you're in fear and that's running your nervous system in a sympathetic state, you are not going to make the best decisions for yourself. So fear, it's interesting. In fear, you lose clarity. I mean, think about it. In order for you to regain your clarity, you got to address your fears. And most of our fears are irrational. They are just not true. They come from the existence of limiting beliefs. And without those limiting beliefs, you would live in a state and exist in a state of alignment. And that alignment to me is the goal for us so that we can reach this higher level of clarity. And when I say alignment, that's mind, body, spirit, soul. I would agree with that. Yeah. So you say that um, God that we've created is judgmental, angry, sends people to hell, um, and that the God, real God that you've encountered after death is loving, uh, allows us to accept ourselves, accepts us. It's pure, unadulterated love. Is that right? Yeah. God is not external. There's an eternal spark of God within every single one of us. You don't need, there's nothing outside to get you to God because you are God. When I was on the other side, uh, God was all around me. God was uh, in me. God was me. I was God. There was, God was presence uh, and fullness and oneness. And But most of all, God was love, this pure, non-judgmental love. And in that state, you know, it was not that I suddenly had been forgiven for my mistakes. It's that they no longer existed. Nothing I had done on earth was being weighed or measured. It simply was my story and the way it played out in this this particular realm here on earth. And to me, that is such a freedom to know that. And in those common lessons, um, you know, they talk about uh, love is all that matters and is the source of all that exists. So when you think of source, meaning God, that is love. That is what exists. And so it's been such Uh, a disservice and such an abuse to so many people's lives that they were brought up with this uh, concept of God as a vending machine 
and believed in it and believed that they were somehow wrong when things didn't work out for the, the greater good. And that is not who or what I experienced with God. And and there's something else that I, I actually went and looked up the word fear. And it was interesting that the Bible is translated, as we know, from ancient text. And the term fear uh, in this context is taken from a 1600s version of the King James Version. And it was meant to mean awe and reverence. And the NDEs that I have listened to and talked to always shared that there was no fear, but profound awe and reverence. But it got, fear has gotten twisted over the years, you know? And I just thought mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. And it was just like such a like how these texts do get um, misrepresented and do get taken out of context and the terms do change. And um, when we live with fear, it's a very low vibration and it's not serving you and you're not going to be able to truly live if you're you're fearful of death in particular. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think even the Bible in its own version of fear talks about not operating out of fear. Don't yeah. do fear and timidity, but operate the opposite of that. So, Nicole, for a minute, I, I want you to talk to young people who may be listening, teens, college-age students who may be listening. What would your advice be to them? Well, first of all, you're not immortal, okay? We think we are at that age, but you're really yeah. not. And I think, you know, what I want to tell you is that this is an opportunity for you to start developing your spiritual pathway, your own experience, your own concept of God. And that is always evolving. And even for me today, that is still evolving. And I will share in my book how um, some part-time work I do with NET, I was working with a little six-year-old girl. And when I asked her, she was very scared she was going to hell because she was coming from a fundamentalist uh, background. And when I asked her how she sees God, she eagerly told me, God is a blue spirit with colors and balloons in all different colors, no head, and can talk. So clearly this little girl is still having a direct experience with God, no filters from other people involved, and her understanding really inspired me and her parents. And your own experience of God, source, whatever you want to call it, will probably look nothing like hers or mine, but I hope, you know, my story will help give you the encouragement to continue on that path and to start raising your vibration. And when I talk about vibration, I'm talking about things like letting go uh, fear and letting go of limiting uh, belief systems that are keeping you from being the being that you were created to be, not who others want you to be. And I'm a recovering people pleaser. It has taken me many years to quit pleasing other people, thinking that, you know, I would get their love. I mean, as a kid, maybe you need that, but as an adult, it does not serve you. And if you think of what people pleasing is about, you're pretzeling yourself into all these contortions to please someone, and it usually never works. And at the end of the day, you got nothing really to show for it, or you don't feel better about it, but it's based in fear. 
So let's now yeah. let's now move to the adults in our audience. There will be quite a few adults, seniors, including senior adults. They may be dreading retirement, maybe dreading getting older, more disease, as you know from being in public mm-hmm. health, age is associated with disease, more pills, more surgeries, chemo, or even death. What would you say to the adults in our audience? Well, first of all, figure out what your concept of God is and what you really believe regarding death. And if there's an element of fear in that, that is what you need to address. And in my book, I actually put a fear checklist in there and you can add your own. But what are you really afraid of um, about leaving this planet is that you, you know, that your family won't be taken care of, you want your fear dying alone, which let me put that to you right now, you're never gonna die alone, okay? When you begin to transition to your death, um, angels start coming in, deceased loved ones start coming in, even your deceased pets, okay? So you are not alone through any of this journey. And so please take that fear off the table and know it's from the spiritual realm, but these beings are there with you to escort you over. I will tell you that um, the amount of medications Americans take today, we are, we are the number one consumer of pills. And a lot of that has to do with how you feel about yourself and your own self-esteem and, and knowing I'm worth it to take care of myself, to get out there and to take care of this body um, that I've been given temporarily. So do the things that we know help our bodies. You know, eat healthy as much as you can. You know, um, get out, take a walk, be in nature. When people ask me what my church is now, I say, it's nature. I feel more connected to, to source in nature Um, being in the water, being in the ocean. I lived in Hawaii for 17 years. Do these things that make you feel good, okay? Um, Think about rituals in your life and do these rituals, okay? Not habits, but rituals, you know? Like um, I had a man who, who had a glass of brandy every night before he went to bed, and it was a ritual for him. He sat there and enjoyed it. And there's a difference between a ritual and a habit. So think about what those rituals are for you and to know that you came here for your soul to evolve. And I will tell you that is um, on the 10 most common things. You will have a life review when you get to the other side. And you learn that how everything we say do and think during our physical life impacted ourselves, others, and the world. Okay? So kindness, okay? It doesn't take a lot to just be kind to someone else, to share a smile, simple things. Get away from negativity. It's toxic, whether it's the news, whether it's people, whoever is not supporting you. And it's never too late to come into a new awakening or a new experience with God and a relationship with source that is not fear-based. Um, and I guess when your time is up, your time is up. So you don't need to worry. And that is a low vibration, worrying. 
Don't worry. Just know, live forever today and each day. Yeah, that's great advice to both groups. You've been listening to Grassroots Health Podcasts, and during this episode, I've been interviewing Nicole Kerr. She's an award-winning health expert and survivor of a near-death experience. I love the advice. Um, we always give our guests the last words. Any last words, Nicole? Yeah, you know, in reality, we're only here for a very short period of time. So address the fears that sabotage you from becoming the being that you were created to be and live forever right now. Very good. Well, remember, everyone, as the 14th Dalai Lama said, be kind whenever possible, and it's always possible. Thank you for tuning in and listening today. You've been with Nicole Kerr, and she is a, an award-winning health expert and a survivor of near-death experience. Thank you, Nicole, for coming on the show today. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I thoroughly enjoyed it.